Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io online and join today. Today, my guest is Jackie Nugent, with whom I went to high school in Copley, Ohio, a long time ago. Jackie is a co-founder of Patera Kitchen, a plant-forward pet food company, and she's also a classically trained plant-forward chef, registered dietitian, nutritionist, award-winning cookbook author, professional recipe developer, media personality, spokesperson, and food writer. Jackie is the author of several cookbooks, including her newest, The Clean and Simple Diabetes Cookbook. She was a healthy cooking instructor at the Institute of Culinary Education in New York, for more than 20 years and is a plant-based food coach. She is also a former national media spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and has made guest appearances on dozens of television news shows. Her mantra is go for great taste, aim for plant-based, try not to waste. Jackie earned her bachelor's degree in allied health professions from the Ohio State University, and she lives in New York City. Jackie, welcome. It's great to reconnect after so many years. Yes. Absolutely. Great to see you. Yeah, you too. So you and I went to high school together, as I mentioned in the introduction, we suffered through many of the same classes. Mrs. Deeser, I'm thinking of you in case you're listening. Yes. Suffer Uh, is the right word for that one. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I've never been able to think about Moby in the same way. Did you know then that you wanted to make a career as a nutritionist or did that come later? No, I didn't know back then. I just, I knew I wanted to be in a health field And both of my parents were kind of nudging me into being a doctor because they wanted a doctor in the family, of course. So I actually started in pre-med when I went to Ohio State. So, And then it was really just part of what I was passionate about that led me to going into the program called medical dietetics rather than staying in the pre-med route. So my mom was a caterer. So, and I always was in the kitchen with her, always cooking. So I'm like, okay, maybe my mom will be happy if I'm a food doctor. So it all worked out really, really well. Yeah. But you were doing, you were describing before we started formally, some different things when you first left Ohio State, you know, kind of exploring things before you, you went off to Chicago to get your degree as a chef. That's right. Yeah. I think it was, it was a lot of good advice, a lot of good career advice about, trying to get a vast amount of experience under your belt and even trying to do some clinical work, even if that's ultimately not the arena that you're going to be in ultimately. So yeah, so I had worked at a place called Central Ohio Nutrition Center, um, working with obesity, and I worked doing some consulting with rehab centers and long-term care facilities. And I know there was other things I probably can't remember because it was so long ago, 
but it was a lot of good um, experience under my belt before I'm like, okay, time to move to the big city. And at that time, Chicago was the big city to me. Yeah. And, and what led you to pursue getting the chef certification? Well, I think, again, it goes back to the passion part. So it was when I was working as a dietitian, I kept finding myself bringing in kind of cooking to anything I was doing. So one of the jobs I had in Chicago was this going to sound kind of silly, but it was working at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics on their national hotline, national consumer hotline. This is before the internet, answering questions from consumers about all sorts of nutrition questions. And then that was just one of the jobs. But at the time, I also was then doing corporate wellness programming. So during those the corporate wellness programming, when I was teaching about nutrition, I always felt like, well, if I can make sure that information is more practical for them, they will probably learn that information better, be able to use that information better. So I started doing cooking demonstrations and everyone seemed to love that as part of the wellness programming. So I thought, okay, this is something that I really think I should pursue. And at that time, there was really kind of no such thing as being a dietitian and a chef. It was kind of a kind of shouldn't be doing both at the same time. Now it makes yeah. a lot of sense that back then it seemed yeah. like these are kind of opposite sides of the spectrum. It's true. Um, yeah. But that's when I, yeah. So that's when I decided, okay, culinary school it is. And and then, so I, after I finished culinary school, I thought, okay, time to be in a big food city. And so at the time I thought, okay, that must be New York, even though I'd never been to New York in my life. But I just took the plunge and went to New York and I've been here ever since. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, you know, from our days in uh, sort of suburban Akron, Ohio and Copley, and you ended up in New York and I ended up in London, at least at this point. So on to the big city. Yeah. I'm curious, going back exactly. to your hotline days, I mean, did you get a lot of calls on the hotline? Were, were the phones like ringing off the hook? The phones were ringing off the hook. There were constantly like wait, wait times. And it was uh, like I said, it was before the Internet. So we yeah. were basically the Internet of nutrition. So, and it was a free call at the time. So, um, so yeah, it was constant um, answering of questions, which was really excellent experience for me to be a spokesperson and do work on TV and radio and whatnot. So, but it was back in the day when the questions were a lot more fat focused. So mm. it was how many fat grams is this? Or, and then people had very odd questions too, like, if I mix cookie dough with my hand, will I get fat, my, my hand get fat? So we had <laughs> some really offbeat questions. And then, of course, there were like the old ladies who had nothing better to do other than to, they needed some attention and they wanted to call us and chat with us. But we kept it nutrition focused. But anyway, it was 90% of the time it was very solid nutrition questions. And but it kept me on my toes. And now I pretty much can answer just about anything off the cuff based on on my experience there. So then you were in New York and you were teaching at the Institute of Culinary Education. So who, who were your students? Were they people looking to cook recreationally or professionals? Well, when I first started, I there was no such thing as recreational program and cooking. Like people, this I forget what year was that? Like 1997, I think this That's was. That's crazy. Yeah. So people were just like taking a class on cooking or healthy cooking, actually. It's like that wasn't really on the radar for most people. So I started teaching um, the career students. I started teaching nutrition to the career students and then culinary nutrition to the career students. And then that led me to actually teaching the chefs at Institute of Culinary Education how to teach nutrition 
within mm. all of their programming. So then all of the chefs took over the reign of trying to incorporate nutrition into the programs, their programming. And then I moved over to the recreational division, teaching consumers. Um, so initially my classes, they weren't all that busy. And then they became sellout classes. After a few years, it's just like, oh, this healthy cooking thing, there's something to this. And healthy cooking, oh, it could be really delicious. So with a lot of different classes, like superfoods and plant-based cooking and cooking for fitness. So they all had kind of different themes, but all around healthy cooking. So the plant-based cooking uh, wasn't the only thing you were teaching at the time. At the time, right. So that kind of evolved. And even my own eating habits have evolved. I think I was always kind of, I would call a plant forward eater. But Mm -hmm. I was never really exclusively plant-based. I'm still not exclusively plant-based, meaning I'm not a vegan. But as I gained knowledge in nutrition and my, I don't know, my palate probably changed, I think, over the period of time. And I think just being more interested in how to prepare vegetables and plants in a unique way, I just, I now kind of am in that plant-based and or plant-forward space. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I know you you have mantra around great taste as well and sort of combining that with being plant-based. I actually, you know, my daughter, I didn't tell you this before we started, but the one who's working on her PhD in biology, she likes to cook. She has a an Instagram account where she like posts about her, her cooking and she follows you. Oh, that's wonderful. I need to follow her back. So I'll get your, I'll get her I'll, um, handle uh, after. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely get that to you. So So the classes obviously were series of classes that you were teaching for a while. And then the recreational thing started and obviously has become huge in and of itself. You were doing private cooking classes as well, right? Yeah, I was doing some private uh, lessons. And I think part of the reason behind that is because my, or when I was teaching at the Institute of Culinary Education, it wasn't like a full-time job and Mm. I loved teaching and when I was teaching courses at Institute of Culinary Education, it was um, like teaching 15 students or 12 students or 20 students. So it was never like really hands-on or as much hands-on as I wanted it to be ideally. So I'm like, how do I capture those people who really do want a lot more individualized attention? So I started doing some individual cooking lessons and that was actually really interesting. And it's one of those things that, I mean, some people were doing it as Some couples were doing it, but it was also people like athletes, like, okay, or I was an athlete and I was eating this way and now I'm no longer an athlete. And now I don't know what to do because I know I have to change the way I'm eating. So everyone had a different reason why they they chose the classes, but I really love, and I still do some of this. I I love giving the individualized attention and and knowing that it's making an impact immediately for them. What else are sort of your favorite parts of teaching culinary nutrition and what are the parts you like less? I think one is um, really gauging what's really happening in the world right now in terms of knowledge about nutrition Mm. and knowledge about cooking. So, I mean, I'm so focused on the other side. Like I know what I know. Does that make sense? (laughs) I know what I know, but I'm like, what do consumers really know? And I think they know this, but do they really know this? So it's really keeping my the pulse on what consumers know, what they have questions about, what their skill levels really are. So it really helps me be a better communicator, be a better writer, um, just be, I think overall, I think my advice is better received because I have that experience. 
you know, it's funny. I think about when we were kids, right? And we were probably taking health class, the ubiquitous umbrella of health class and learning about nutrition and realizing like our parents didn't know anything, right? Because they'd grown up a generation before and been taught probably in their own health class, all of that stuff that was outdated. Now that's me, <laughs> at least, you know, <laughs> I don't feel like I've kept pace with all of these things as much as, as I should have. So, and it's changed our knowledge of what works and what doesn't work has changed a lot over the years. Yeah. It's constantly evolving. I mean, it's just like, even as a dietitian, I have to keep abreast like daily of new research and what's happening because advice does change based on, okay, now we have, instead of 10 studies, now we have a hundred studies on this. And now because of those additional 90 studies, our philosophies and our advice has to change based on that. So it is definitely something you have to keep abreast of. So that's what I'm supposed to do. So then you don't have to do it and I can teach you about this. So you were teaching among many other things that we're going to get to, and then the pandemic hit and school obviously had to shut down. So I'm sure that forced somewhat of a pivot for you. What was that time like for you? What did you end up doing to adapt? Well, I guess a lot of different things. One, because the teaching was basically part of what I was doing. So other than that, I was always doing some type of writing for consumer magazines. I was doing some spokesperson work for some food companies. I did a lot of recipe development work for food companies, for write um, for magazines, for my cookbooks. I've written several cookbooks. So a lot of the other work kind of picked up a little bit more. And mm. instead of doing the spokesperson work for food companies, instead of doing that, let's say going to a TV station and doing an interview, it would be doing a lot more Zooms and teaching courses over Zoom or teaching even other dietitians. Like I would do a lot of webinars for dietitians that worked in the media and I would teach them about like how to cook in this certain way. So I did a lot more online programming, of course, but I stay, definitely stayed busy other than the first maybe four or five months. I definitely yeah. stayed busy with everything else that I have on my plate. And now you're a co-founder of a plant-forward pet food business. Yeah. So that actually happened, well, during the pandemic is when I started thinking about this. And it's, I have another a dietitian friend who does a lot of what the same things I do. And she was one of the few people who I saw during the beginning of the pandemic. And we were just like, you know, we don't know what the future holds and we want to do something together. And we're trying to figure out, well, what should we do together? And she had just adopted a dog at the time and I had baked up some treats for her dog. So yeah. we're looking at these treats and her dog loves these treats. And I'm like, what should we do as we're looking at these treats? And I'm like, I think we have an idea of what we should be doing. So She's a dog lover. I'm a cat lover. Well, I'm a dog lover too, but I have a cat. And I'd always baked treats for my nephews have a dog. I have a cat and I bake treats for my cat. So it's kind of just went from there. I'm like, okay, this is something that we could do. And everyone has pets and they're still going to have pets after the pandemic. And we think we have something different to bring to the table since we're human dietitians. And I'm also yeah. a chef, of course. So I thought that would be something that would add some intrigue to what we could bring to the table. So yeah, we just launched this product, the Terra Kitchen. We have like some organic baking mixes for dogs and cats, and we just launched in October. So brand new, I'm just getting yeah. off the table here and trying to figure out 
the next steps, but it's a huge learning curve. Um, very yeah. exciting, but a lot to learn. Yeah. Well, I would imagine, among other things, you've, you've probably have felt some pressure to learn about dog and cat nutrition. Of course. Yeah. yeah. So it's definitely not the same as human nutrition, but there's more overlap than we probably realize. And how are you thinking about distribution for your products? Yeah. So, well, what we decided we wanted to be ready if a, like Whole Foods came in and says, hey, we want your product and we want to order 10,000 uh, baking mixes. We wanted to be ready for that. So we then work with a co-packer who is in upstate mm -hmm. New York, who does all of our mixing and they package it up and then they ship it over to, or we ship it over from there to a 3PL, which is um, ship yep. Bob, 30 yep. third-party logistics. So, so they house or warehouse our product and then we sell online and we are just now going into stores in New York and we are in four stores so far. It's like, I've right. never thought of myself as a door-to-door -door salesman, but that's kind of a new skill. Apparently I have going into these stores and say, Hey, look what we have and you need us. And, and some of them are like, okay, yeah, we do need to, to put your product on our shelf. So I know it's a long game. So I know I have to be patient and yeah. um, figure things out, but but yeah, it's something new to something new and exciting. And we hope to have a lot more products other than these baking mixes, but one yeah. step at a time. One step at a time. Yeah, and the baking mixes at least, well, it's it also becomes somewhat participatory for the person who buys it, right? So good for families, you know, that they can bake something for their pets. Exactly. So that's the whole point. And when it's something a little bit different, but so we'll see. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a challenge just to like make sure people know about it. So luckily, because I have a media background, and so does uh, my co-founder, does help us in terms of getting the word out. So it just gets to keep plugging away. Got to keep plugging away. I hear you on that. You've had your own business more generally since like Chicago days, right? Mid-1990s? Right. Yeah. Yes. So what's the scope of what that covers? All of these things that you're kind of filling in on the side? Yeah. So uh, like everything on the site is kind of like, I guess, an appetizer platter or maybe a meze. So it's like, that's kind of how I work. I just have mm. work in a lot of different buckets and that all creates my career that creates my business. So there's not one thing that I say, this is absolutely what I do. I'm just right now, I call myself a plant forward culinary nutritionist. And that kind of embodies everything that I'm doing in that world. So it, it entails writing. So I do some writing for thehealthy.com. I'm on the advisory board to Forbes Health. So that's kind of is the kind of which writing is area. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is pretty cool. And then still do some spokesperson work. So but I'm very particular about on um, the clients that I work with. Most of my clients are usually commodity boards. So um, rather than a brand, yeah. although I have done some branded work, but basically that in talking to the media about their products and and spreading the message um, as long as that aligns with with my health messaging and my nutrition yeah. messaging, and then still do like a tiny bit of the um, cooking lessons, the private cooking lessons. But that's one of those things that's really great to have in my repertoire of activities that I can do as part of my career. So I can do more of it if some things are not as busy as others. But that's kind of what I find. I don't usually have to pound the pavement or mm. make phone calls or send emails. I usually get far too many opportunities and have to turn down opportunities. But there are times when I'm like, okay, 
where's all my work? And I'm like, I'm on my last contract right now. I'm like, maybe I need to make some phone calls or send some emails. So that's yeah. when I'm like, oh, I can, I can do some private cooking lessons and to fill in the gaps if there are any gaps. And you mentioned you've written several cookbooks, I think six, right? I've lost count. Yes. I mean, f- five and then I'm on six. So okay. yes, I guess technically six. So I have about 10 more recipes to test on my next cookbook that comes out in October, hopefully. Okay, cool. What was the first one and how did that come about? Well, because I always wanted to write a cookbook as after I finished culinary school, that was when mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, writing a cookbook is something that interests me. So, but I had no idea even where to begin with that process. And I'm like, well, no one really knows me in that arena. So how do I break in? It's always like, yeah, getting to the right people or knowing the right people sometimes. So I went to a professional meeting that was around oh IACP, International mm-hmm. Association of Culinary Professionals. So I happened okay. to go to this meeting. I'm like, I should network and figure out who I need to talk to about getting into cookbook writing. And I went into one session, which was for publishers and for writers. And we all got to introduce ourselves. So it was a small enough group that we could do that. And I'm like, I'm looking for the love of a good publisher. And I just like put myself out there and talked about what my experience was. And then lo and behold, there was a publisher there from American Diabetes Association. So it was, which is association publishing rather than like going through a major publishing house. And he said, "Um, your background is really interesting. I think I would love to see what you might want to write about if you do something, if you're interested in the diabetes arena. So I'm like, absolutely, I'm interested because my dad has diabetes. Mm. So I had always been um, developing recipes for him and my mom, although I don't know how much they ever actually used my recipes. But I think my dad wanted to use my recipes. And I'm like, well, I know I have this skill and I know I could bring this to more people. And I pitched them my first book. And like, well, if my dad isn't going to make all these recipes, I know a lot of other people who will want these recipes. So, so the first book was the All Natural Diabetes Cookbook. And at the time, and I lost track of the year that this came out, but at the time, natural and diabetes didn't really go together. It was mm. almost that, oh, if you have diabetes, you should just do like do things like alternative sweeteners or artificial sweeteners. So it was about what you take away from your diet rather than oh, there must be another way to eat healthfully while you have diabetes that you don't need all of these things like artificial sweeteners. Because I thought at the time when my dad was diagnosed, I thought, this is really odd. I'm like, if you have diabetes, you want to eat healthier. And then all these products are highly processed and they're made with things that don't seem to fit being extra nourishing. So I thought, okay, let's try this natural route. American Diabetes Association at the time was like, we're not so sure if everyone is kind of on board with this concept, but we're going to take a chance on it. And mm. luckily they took a chance on it and me and that book did very, very well and kind of led to me being able to write other cookbooks since I had my first one that did really well. Yeah. You won an award for it, right? The Gourmand World Cookbook Award. Yeah. So I did. That was so exciting. My first cookbook, I win this award. I went to London to accept the award. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it was an exciting time. So I'm like, I think I think I'm on the right track here. I think you are too, because I know you've won awards for several of your other books as well, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and three of them are diabetes related, but 
One of them is just like this big, huge fat book that's about low calorie eating. Mm. So I think it's kind of like the Betty Crocker of like healthy, low calorie recipes for the people who are in that camp. And then I did another one that was on the Big Green Cookbook. And I did Mm -hmm. this kind of before people were really on board with, oh, there is something happening called climate change. And I came out with that really, really early on. And I wish I was coming out with it now instead of when I did, because I think I was almost a little too soon on that schedule of climate change. Second edition, new and improved. Yes. New recipes. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you were kind of ahead of your time. I was thinking that as I was getting ready for the discussion, you know, just that you were saying the focus on nutrition in general, you know, starting at a time when people, I think we're kind of running away from learning how to cook. I can remember when I was working at McKinsey, one of the guys I worked with did a project for one of the trade associations. And, and it was shocking in terms of how little at the time people were actually sitting down to have a family meal together. And this is before, I mean, it was almost like cooking is dead. That's the way I felt after hearing him describe what they learned in this research that they've done. This is when you were living in Chicago and I was living in Chicago. So, you know, it goes back probably 25 years or so, but, you know, since then it's just, it's completely taken off and food network or whatever. I know you've done some work with the food network. People are way back into cooking and nutrition came in and plant-based came in and you were way ahead of your time. Maybe so, but I'm like, maybe people are starting to catch up to me or I don't know, but I feel like there is, um, people are definitely cooking. They might be cooking differently than they used to. So they might have more like they're getting delivery of all their ingredients and then they're preparing food or yeah, all different ways. But yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, keeping my hands on the pulse of what consumers are doing is very important. How do you like the writing part of what you do? Like the Forbes Health Advisory Board work, your membership there and the writing you do for them and others? Well, I think that's something that I kind of discovered where I fit best because for years I was writing just to write, like someone Mm. would call or email and they would say, oh, hey, would you like to write about, I don't know, chicken? And I'm like, okay, I'll write about chicken because I know chicken. So, but it wasn't something I was passionate about writing. So I'm just like, so now it's, I got to the point where, okay, I don't need to write just to write. I want to only write about things that I feel very strongly about and I feel aren't covered well or not covered at all. So I have something new to add to the whole body of of nutrition and culinary information out there. So, So now it's much more not editors asking me to write, but me actually pitching them like, hey, I have this great idea. I'd love Mm. to write about this. And here's why. And let me know if you're interested. So I don't do as much writing as I used to, but now it's much more impactful and it's much more meaningful. So I actually enjoy. I enjoy it a lot more than just like writing just to write. How about the TV and radio part? You do a lot of that? When it was when I first moved to New York, I then applied to become a spokesperson, a national spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. And part of that was because I had worked on that hotline for so many years. I knew how to Mm -hmm. answer questions. I'm like, well, I could do the same thing on TV and they know who I am. I think they know I'm capable of this, even though I had zero TV experience. Or actually, I take that back. I had one TV spot that I did before I moved to New York, and that was my very first TV spot was Good Morning America. So wow. nothing like being fire and like, 
live Good Morning America. They flew me from Chicago to New York and and there I am. I'm like, okay, this is me being on national TV. I have no idea if I'm going to do well. And luckily I did well. So, and that helped me get this gig to be a national spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So I did that for three years. And with that, I did probably at least 50 interviews a year for them. And that was, a lot of them were TV, some of them are radio, some of them were, this is before podcast. So it was maybe some magazines, the print magazines that people don't read anymore. So I did a lot of that. And it was, that was really exciting because I just, I felt like, okay, I'm able to make a bigger difference than like doing something one-on-one. I'm now reaching millions of people and giving this uh, message that I thought was, this is very good advice that I'm getting. And there's a lot of not so good advice that people might be reading. So, so that was exciting. So I still do, after I did that for three years, I still I still do that, not quite 50 interviews a year, but it's much more email interviews for online yeah. magazine kind of thing. So yeah, it's still very exciting to be be part of that. And I still get a little bit nervous any every time I do TV, but it's good nervous rather than yeah. like, yeah, sweaty nervous. Well, you've done some pretty big names. I mean, you've done Today and Martha Stewart Living and Dr. Oz and Dateline. So, I mean, those are all like obviously household names and national shows what are the one or two that really stand out for you you know as being particularly memorable good morning america the very first one is obviously the most memorable so and it was because i really wasn't sure if what i was doing if i was going to like really mess up royally or if i was going to do a really good job so and then of course because it was on behalf of the academy of nutrition and dietetics which at the time was called american diabetes or american dietetic association ada mm. so many of the the people that worked there they're like oh we want you to make sure you say this in your interview and oh make sure you use the phrase medical nutrition therapy sometime whenever they ask you a question so at all these people telling me how to do this i'm like oh my gosh how am i going to remember to do all of this and i'm like anyway i did I managed somehow to do everything that I needed to do. And lo and behold, that like that launched me into doing more media work. So that's definitely the most memorable. But I would say maybe the only other memorable one was when I was sent. And this was when uh, I was doing some spokesperson work for a company and I will, they will be um, nameless. So I was doing this spokesperson work and they sent me to do a radio spot. They're like, for some reason, they want you to be live. Um, to do the radio spot live. I'm like, okay, I'll go and I'll do this live. And then it turned out to be, so I wasn't like wearing anything fabulous and I didn't have makeup on and it turned out to be a national TV spot instead. I'm like, oh, okay. So that was threw me for a loop and somehow, I, can imagine. I don't know, slept. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember that just uh, distinctly. I'm like, and I didn't, I didn't work for that company that much longer. So every once in a while, things like that do pop up, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I remember that, but not for good reason. Yeah. It's always unfortunate when those things happen. I, you've done some work with healthy children, healthy futures as well. So talk a little bit about that. Well, that's an after school program that was started by Strang Cancer Prevention Center. That's uh, with the company, the organization that initially sponsored that. And the program started as teaching nutrition to kids on that information that they weren't learning in schools. And then it evolved to a program that was like train the trainer, which was Mm. I would go into schools and teach the parents how to teach nutrition to their kids because 
we're like, this is great if we teach kids directly, but if the parents still cook this way or they teach, if they're telling their kids this about nutrition, that's just going to, that's not going to really work. So we're like, we need to teach these parents um, how to actually go grocery shopping and what to buy and why to buy it. And then how they can prepare foods or pack lunches or whatnot for their kids. So then I went all over the country to teach these train the trainer or um, these parent education groups, like in Dallas and a lot of inner city groups. So it was mm. like in Dallas and Houston and an LA area and Chicago and Baltimore. So it was um, just about anywhere where I felt the education was going to be very well used. So it was exciting to work with that and know that it was making this impact because they did some studies. I wasn't part of doing the studies of this after the fact, but they there was an impact on children's health based on this program. So, yeah, so that's always that's awesome. good to hear that what you're doing is definitely making a difference. Yeah, that's awesome. What's your sense? Do you think kids eat than they did when you and I were kids. I know I ate a lot of junk food. <laughs> My sense is yes and no. <laughs> That's a okay. horrible answer, but yes and no. I would say they actually are because they have access to so much more information. So they read things about like plant-based eating. So there are definitely more vegetable consumption happening there are actually more vegetables available to them mm, uh, than we had. We had like the basics. So there's a wide range of accessibility that we didn't have back in the day. So that's one thing, but there still is, you know, the busy parents and then the kids just eating whatever they get their hands on, whatever the parents act up, available to the kids. So sometimes that will be healthy and other times it'll be like what the parents think might be healthy but it might be very, very highly processed. There was a lot more bar consumption. Let me just eat yeah. a bar for my meal rather than mm -hmm. skip a meal. So maybe they're not skipping a meal, but they might be eating something that's more like a candy bar than an, an mm -hmm. actual nutritious bar. So there's some things I would say definitely more plants, but there's still a lot of highly processed products. And, and unfortunately, yeah. I think we don't have as much eating around the family table as there used to be. So that's kind of the downside. Yeah. That definitely is a downside. So across all these different things you do, it's like, what's your support crew look like that helps you keep all of this in motion? Well, it's kind of a skeleton crew and sometimes there's no one. So like in my early days, I thought I needed a lot of people to support what I did and to grow. So I had two different agents that was working with, working with like my spokesperson projects. I had an mm -hmm. agent that was had two different literary agents that helped me with in the cookbook arena. I had a couple assistants helping me with my like recipe testing. So I would develop the recipes. Um, they would help me test it in the kitchen. So especially when I had a book that was a thousand recipes. So I needed some definitely needed some help with that. So and I would always work with dietitians who were also chefs. So people mm. who had my exact skills. So I knew that they knew what they were doing when they were testing my recipes. So in my own kitchen, because I'm like one of those people, I need to be involved in every step of the process. So there was a time when I had all these different people and these moving parts. And now I have a literary agent. I have one and a half literary agents. I'm only using one right now, but I might use one of the other ones for something else. So and other than that, no assistance. So this next cookbook that I have that hopefully will come out in October, doing this all myself. So I find that, I mean, I love what I do. So I want to be the one doing the work and I know it will get, 
get done right. And I know I don't like to be a manager. So I know that's not yeah. something that's, yeah, being in like having a, a whole team doing my cookbook for me. That's, I don't, I won't enjoy the cookbook process as much. I love doing the cooking. I love going grocery shopping to buy the recipes for my cookbook. So maybe because I like to do so much, I might not earn as much money ultimately because I'm doing a lot myself, but I'm happier. So yeah. I feel like I'm more successful because of that. And I feel like people appreciate that. They know I'm doing the work myself. Would you describe yourself as a member of the hustle culture? I mean, you've got to have been hustling around, you know, to keep all these things going at points during your career. Yeah, I guess I would say yes, but the hustle is like a yo-yo. So sometimes yeah. there's a lot more hustle than others. So right now I don't feel today as I speak to you, I don't feel a part of it. But after I'm done testing my recipes for my cookbook, I'll probably feel like, okay, I need to get busy doing something else to bring in to make sure I'm making money. So I guess ultimately, yes, I'm part of the hustle culture. It's just not always as harried as, as it, as it might imply. Yeah. And across yeah. all these things, like, what do you think, what are the strengths that you've drawn on? And what are the areas that you've had to work to develop? You've talked about some of those, I think, already. I think maybe the one that I didn't learn in school that I've come to use a lot is my negotiation skills. I didn't learn how to negotiate a contract. I used to learn that, or I went to be, I became a dietitian. It was about like to do good. I wanted mm -hmm. to help uh, impact the health of people. So it wasn't about really going into an industry where I'm going to make a lot of money. It was, I'm doing this because I want to help um, impact someone's health. So I guess initially I was like, if someone said, okay, this is what we're going to pay you. I'm like, okay. So that's kind of for years. I was like, okay, that's fine. And I would never like come back and say anything. Like I would yeah. just accept $15 an hour, even if this job was worth a hundred dollars an hour, because that's what they offered me. And I didn't know, like, yeah. I didn't feel confident enough to ask for anything different, but that's completely changed. And I think part of the help was just knowing that I can do this over email rather than just sitting there across from someone trying to ask them about to get more money. So just being able to write it was actually my entree into being able to negotiate. I'm like, oh, people are okay with this. So, and actually I found that people were like, in some cases, strangely respected me more because I yeah. was asking for more money and I felt my skills were worth or what I brought to the table was worth a lot more than what they initially were, were offering. So I have, I, I don't ask for more than I think I'm worth, but I think I'm usually worth a lot more than people initially suggest. Yeah, I've heard this from other people too, that in some ways, like charging more, like almost gives you more credibility, right? You know, right. well, if they're charging that much, they, they must be really good. Yeah, there is some of that, I think. And, and it must be something psych psychologically that like tricks someone's brain, like, oh yeah, they must be worth this then. Yeah, And I am, I always feel like I am. So, so I don't have a problem doing it anymore. <laughs> yeah. For someone who's considering getting into a career in nutrition, what advice would you give them? I would say do it. I mean, it's really, it's a growing arena. It's exciting. You can make an impact, but you can do whatever you want with it. So like years and years ago, when I first became a dietitian, it was almost like, oh, you can be a clinical dietitian. You can work in a hospital. You can work in a 
a long-term care facility, there wasn't that many outlets to be a yeah. dietitian. And now like it's, you can just do anything you want. So I suggest if you, do you want to go into nutrition, make sure you have a focus. It's almost like being a doctor. It's like you become a pediatrician or you become a radiologist or an ophthalmologist. It's like you have mm. different specialties. So the same thing applies to nutrition. So make sure in, the, in your understudies or your in when you go to college, I mean, you might have a general a general program, but then make sure you do something that you can start focusing pretty quickly on the area that you want to work in. So and make it an area that you have something like I'm trying to think of a word better than passion, but I think that word best describes it something that you have mm -hmm. a passion for. So I always had a passion for eating for cooking. So bringing going into culinary nutrition was the natural avenue for me and people see how excited I am about talking about it, they can feel that passion. So it ultimately can help to increase your successes later in life if you're bringing that passion to the table. So whether it's I'm an athlete, oh, we'll go into sports nutrition. So mm -hmm. it's just whenever you can bring in that specialty, that some, that's something extra, people will sense that and you'll enjoy it that much more. What's ahead for you other than finishing this book that you're working on? Finishing this cookbook. Well, I started one other program, not that I like, how do I have time for all of this? But I, I did start one other area of it is being a nutrition coach for this company called My Peak Challenge. I don't know mm -hmm. if you ever heard of My Peak Challenge, yeah. but it's basically a whole body wellness program that involves challenges. And it was started by Sam Hewen, you know, the lead actor Outlanders. So yeah. he's actually started this program. And I just did a lot of nutrition videos for them. And I developed a lot of plant forward recipes for them. So it, that's one thing that I just started doing a lot more of as of a couple months ago. So I am nutrition coach. I'm coach Jackie for my peak challenge. So that's cool. one thing that I'm doing and probably see me doing a little bit more of and then launching this cookbook, hopefully in the fall. So I'll be busy doing some work surrounding that book. And then, of course, trying to grow my plant forward pet food company, Patera Kitchen. And then who knows? So it'll be something completely different that we haven't talked about today that I'm sure I will have if we talk a year from now, there'll be something else to add to the table. Well, that's what makes a portfolio career fun, right? We have all these different things going. Well, it's been fun to catch up. Thank you. I appreciate your time and hearing a little bit more about what you're doing. I'm sure my middle daughter will be very interested in, uh, <laughs> you know, hearing some of, of what you're doing. She's heading down a different path. She wants to do cancer research, but she does love to cook and to come up with recipes and post about them. So that's fantastic. Yes, I definitely, I want to learn more about her and hopefully I can connect with her and stay connected to you. It's been awesome to see you and to catch up after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully it won't be, we won't count the number of years. It's been a long time. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Jackie. Thanks, JR. I'd like to thank Jackie for joining me today. It was fun to catch up and also to discuss the breadth of work she does as a plant forward cooking instructor recipe creator, award-winning cookbook author, writer, speaker, spokesperson, and influencer. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular career insights, you can become a Pathwise member. Again, it's free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow Pathwise on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks and have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.